when we tell our customers who are looking to get into this last mile, we go, so what do you mean by last mile? <laughs> and and it's a big question because last mile means so many different things to so many people, right? And if they mean, yeah, I want to be the guy handing the package in the hand of the customer, I go, okay, here's what you be have to be prepared to deliver and what I need from a data point perspective. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. While the 3PL in companies involved with freight movement may have much stronger needs for logistics and transportation processes, Manufacturers and distributors can't be efficient if they treat logistics as their stepchild. In fact, more and more companies are managing their in-house fleets to meet the customer expectations of faster delivery and issues such as driver shortages. The in-house fleets are also required if you have regulated business or special requirements to ship your goods, such as frozen food or F3PLs might be cost prohibitive for your business model. Even if you rely entirely on LTL and FTL carriers, you still have to manage the scheduling, timely loading or unloading, and coordination with your 3PL carriers if you want to avoid overages. So what are the needs and best practices to cost-effectively manage the logistics need for a manufacturer or distributor? And what systems and integration would they require to manage them? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn, who brings significant expertise to discuss logistics, information, architecture. We covered many grounds, including stories related to the different systems that logistics function needs and the role of POD and rate shopping systems in the architecture. Finally, we discussed why manufacturing and distribution companies need to think before bringing capabilities such as last mile delivery in-house and how the supply chain companies have a very different business model than the traditional manufacturers and distributors. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. For today, the topic is logistics, information, architecture. So for today, we are going to be living inside the logistics department. We are going to be talking about the user journeys of different personas that are going to be involved inside the logistics department. We are going to be talking about different systems that are going to be utilized inside the logistics department. We are going to be talking about the different company sizes and how their logistics need are going to be different. And then finally, how the logistics need are going to be different across different industries and the players that may be involved in the entire supply chain spectrum. So uh, first, we are going to start with everybody's intro. 
Tom, would you like to introduce yourself first? Happy to. Thank you, Sam. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Tom Rodden. I am currently the CIO at Marion Medical Systems and uh, have been working as an IT professional for the last 14 years at Marion. But prior to that, in uh, two prior lives, I was uh, the head of uh, logistics uh, for GE Lighting in Europe, and uh, that uh, that lasted about uh, 10 years. Uh, so a lot of experience in uh, the transportation management, inventory management, warehouse management, uh, and manufacturing planning uh, as part of the GE organization. And then uh, spent about 10 years doing uh, IT consulting um, focused on, uh, to a large extent, supply chain. Again, prior to becoming the, uh, the full-time member of the Varian Medical Systems Organization and really focusing on IT and maybe drifting a little bit away from my focus on supply chain. But uh, really happy to be here. This is uh, near and dear to my heart and brings me back to my roots. So thanks for the opportunity, Sam, to chip in. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Tom. And when I was recruiting for the panelist, you know, for this specific show, there weren't a lot of people who were feeling comfortable calling logistics department as their near to near and dear to their heart. So thank you so much for being here. Your insights sure. are going to be super powerful. Uh, Jeff, can I move to you next for your intro? Sure. Thanks again, Sam, for having me. I'm Jeff Lem, CEO of Portable Intelligence. Um, we're we provide a warehouse management systems. And you're probably wondering why I'm involved in this show. The simple reason is that I get wedged in between a lot of TMS implementations and ERP implementations, as well as proof of the area. So I'm work, currently working on a project now with a 3PL. And guess what? I'm stuck in the middle. I'm working with their TMS vendor and their POD and their freight management. So I've got a lot of uh, good stories and maybe some lessons learned to share today. Yeah, it's going to be so exciting because especially, Jeff, when I look at the, the WMS and, and the TMS spectrum, some of the WMS actually have a lot of TMS functionality inbuilt as part of that. So sometimes that could be tricky when you have to use both. Thank you so much for being here, Jeff. Ryan, can I ask you to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Sam. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Ryan Wicklum. I'm the Director of Business Development for Change Connect, which is a, a sales consultancy out of, uh, out of Markham, Ontario. Prior to this, though, my, my past life was I spent 20 years, uh, 20 plus years in supply chain and was more on the tactical side of the um, warehousing, logistics, transportation worlds and and made the, the gradual switch to, um, to the sales side. But I still miss my roots. You know, I, I still miss being in the, uh, in the warehouses in July when it's when it's 110 in the, in the warehouse. So, you know, it's a uh, it brings back memories having these conversations. Yeah, and we are going to have a little bit of debate in terms of, you know, what happens inside WMS and TMS, because obviously you have some, uh, you know, implementation experience on the TMS side of the things. Yeah. So yeah. that's going to be super beneficial. Thank you so much for being here, Ryan. Happy to help. Chris, can I ask you to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Hello, everyone. Chris Ghiardini. I'm the CEO and owner of Turnkey Technologies. Uh, we're a Microsoft Dynamics implementation partner. been doing ERP implementations for 27 plus years. Lots of WMS, lots of logistics that touches all these ERP implementations for all the people doing distribution. So looking forward to the conversation. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. So we are going to dig right into the topic. So Tom, uh, you know, we have to set a little bit of stage in terms of identifying the different players that are going to be involved in the ecosystem when we think of the supply chain, there are a lot of different systems you know, in the supply chain space and the whole supply chain ecosystem itself is extremely developed. We talk about a lot of different systems when we talk about 
you know, network management, the scheduling management, and a lot of people don't understand how the ERP world overlaps, let's say, with the supply chain, the real supply chain, and the logistics, and how many different players are involved. So do you want to set the stage overall talking about different players, different systems that might be involved in the supply chain and the logistics? Well, I can I can get us started. I'll, I'll, I'll help as I, as I can setting the stage, Sam. Um, so I tend to look at this whole question in, in three ways. Um, one has to do with business process and what is the scope we're trying to address. Now, um, logistics or more broadly supply chain um, is a very broad topic area. Um, you know, it can range from manufacturing planning. And I don't know, Sam, if in your mind that was in or out here, but obviously downstream from that, there's uh, and upstream from that too. There's there's receiving into warehouses, there is picking, uh, there's put away, there's inventory management, there's returns management, there's bonded and non-bonded warehouse situations, there's yeah. um, transportation management. Uh, you can have very highly automated warehouses and operations. You can have very manual ones. Um, the, there's customs management, import and export, which can often be part of your uh, logistics and supply chain operation. Again, definitions sometimes vary. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, all of that I think of as logistics or, or, or supply chain and, and probably more that I didn't even mention there. But in addition to understanding the process that you're trying to address or processes in specific cases, I think it's critical to say, what is it that your business wants to own and operate within that scope? And what is it that you may want to outsource, for example, partner with someone on? These boundaries, these ownership boundaries to me are oftentimes the basis for the the complexity in architecture. You start to yeah. say, well, I'm not going to model in my software, and I'm not going to maybe even procure the software that would deliver the capabilities that I'm engaging someone else to do on my behalf, right? So uh, I'm not going to have a transportation management system as part of my uh, application landscape and architecture if I'm hiring TNT or uh, some other uh, third party to do all the logistics for me. I'll have them come in. We'll figure out the APIs and the connectivity and how to exchange critical data, but they'll do all the optimized routing. They'll do the load plans for the vehicles. They'll do uh, everything. They'll collect the PODs uh, at the drop-off and bring that back, you know, and feed it back to me into my system. But I won't really handle any of that. Um, so those, the ownership um, whether you're engaging a, a 3PL or a transport provider or uh, even even uh, you know a logistics warehouse operator on your behalf, um, and you know you stop at inventory management in your systems and you hand off and someone else does warehouse management. I mean, all of these are options, and it depends to me how core is that to your business. I'm guessing Amazon is running a lot of the logistics in-house. Yeah. Um, uh, because it's so critical and so core to the success and the profitability of their operations. It is the heart of the business. You know, and for somebody else um, in another line of business, they might say, you know, really delivery and, and logistics, that's not core. I'm, I'm a 
product design company. We, we focus on the marketing, um, engineering, and uh, it's not about um, the delivery, uh, storage, and, and uh, paperwork involved in clearing borders and customs and all that. So um, I, I tend to think of it as process, as I said, first, what's the scope of what you're trying to accomplish? And secondly, who owns the scope? Um, each piece, how much is in-house, how much is outsourced. Um, and lastly, I think there's a big question of philosophy and maybe tied closely to that budget. You know, I think in many cases, people say, I'd love to have an end-to-end -end solution. I'll go with one of the big providers of software that can do inventory management, warehouse management, transport management, customs management, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, but you may say, I can't afford it. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to string some pearls together. If I want to even still do it all in-house, it may not be a simple architecture. It may be more complex. So those are the ways that I tend to think about it. And, and uh, hopefully that sets the stage a bit. It does. In fact, Amici, your example about Amazon is brilliant. They do a lot of things internally, but what they are really good at is having the control on the system. So mm -hmm. even if they are going to hire anybody third party and they utilize a lot of third party, whether you talk about CPLs, I mean, they want even vendors to provide all the services. Otherwise, they are going to charge big hefty margin when you have to sell your products through Amazon. But their systems are going to be capable of having the complete control of the process end to end, or they are going to be penalizing their vendors in my mind. But that is something that we don't see in the mid-market. Even if you have CPL, you are not going to have as much control on your vendors. I don't know if you yeah. agree with that, Tom. No, I do. I do. Um, you know, I, I imagine that it, even when Amazon, in, in some cases, and again, I'm not that familiar with with their logistics operations, so I shouldn't say too much. But I could imagine that even when they engage a third party, they may well insist in some or many cases that the third party run their operation on Amazon systems. And that's not just a transparency thing. That's a, a consistency across the entire network, whether they have some stuff that they're operating themselves and they they choose third parties to do some other things. They may say it's all going to be running on the same IT architecture and landscape. I was involved in um, a, a debate in one uh, company when I was consulting. You know, should we take the warehousing model where we had some in-house in warehouse operations and should we model a warehouse for a third party? Uh, and then it will run exactly the way we want it and it will be transparent to us and you know, we'll understand it. And frankly, it also makes us portable. If we want to leave those guys tomorrow and ask somebody else to run the operation, you know, we can do it. Uh, we don't have to uh, worry about a whole new set of interfaces to new third-party systems. So there's a big debate. And in the end, it was agreed, warehousing isn't core. We're just not that great at it. It's not worth our while to be forcing our systems onto third parties when they have systems. And frankly, you know, it raises all kinds of new complexities that we don't need to get into here. But it was agreed that for that second point I was making, uh, the, the core, how core is it to your business? How good are you at it? Um, you know, they said, we're not going to extend our footprint. We're going to just interface to the 3PL systems and leverage what they do for, for a living. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. So before I move to Jeff, I think we are going to bring back our debate from the last week. And the debate was about whether medical companies, medical device or the pharma or any of the regulated businesses 
should be using any sort of CTL because there are going to be other challenges when they are going to be utilizing CTL. And a lot of panelists from the last week agreed that, you know what, they have not seen uh, usage of CTL in case of regulated business. So Jeff, we'll uh, you know discuss that question since Tom is here, but to you. Okay. So in terms of setting these stage, what are different players that you have seen? What are different complexities that you have seen? when you are looking at different companies. And I am actually going to provide you a quick rundown of different companies and the different business models that they have. So sure, if you are a manufacturer or a distributor, like Tom said, you know, you can hand off the process, but that handing off the process is going to create another level of complexity because, you know, somebody else is controlling your process. And if you are, let's say, for example, in the regulated industry, it's not as easy when somebody else is controlling your process. So I am actually going to give you a quick rundown of different players and the industries involved. And they are going to have very different logistics need overall from the process perspective. So number one is obviously your manufacturer, then distributor, then you have retail e-commerce companies, then you have these newer players called last mile delivery providers. Okay, they are very, very new. And they are very interesting. And they don't know what they are doing, to be honest. I have seen crazy ERP implementations in their case, because they don't understand their own business. Okay, then we have the, you know, a lot of different freight providers, you have ocean freight providers, uh, you have your airlines, airlines also do some sort of, you know, freight forwarding, then uh, you have the, the transportation companies, the trucking companies, you have 3PL and 3PL is all over the place. Some 3PL only do warehousing. Some people do, you know, cold storage. Some people do it just all over the place in terms of the 3PL. What else did I miss? I think that's the gamut of the, the supply chain. And they all are going to have very different processes when it comes to their logistics needs. So over to you. What do you think uh, overall, uh, you know, from these players perspective and how are they going to interact with each other? I concur with a lot of things what Tom said. It's like, you know, what do you want to be when you want to when you grow up, basically, <laughs> right? We can boil it down to that. But, you know, how I approach our customers and and for, for a large reason why Amazon and Walmart got into the logistics game is about controlling the customer experience. Yeah. So that customer experience really, I see, dictate what your logistics looks like. So do yep. you own trucks? Do you use three PLs? Do you use um, third-party carriers? Do you go LTL? Do you go FTL? I mean, it all affects your logistics. We don't decide that. You know, I get brought into situations where customers say, I've got 40 trucks. I need proof of delivery. I've got a warehouse that's a mess. I've got a I bring stuff across the border. I got to comply with, in our case, with Canada Border Services and do, you know, support um, uh, release uh, notification services. I've got to um, deal with all these funky data points around ca calculating um, tariffs and, and commodity brokerage and all sorts of stuff. So we try to deal with that and basically say, okay, we're great on the warehouse side, but we're going to have to interact with, in this case, with the TMS with freight management systems and even POD systems, okay? So the, so the, the trick lies in the design of that information architecture exactly to the point of your title, right? You know, how, how do we design that architecture so it supports all those disparate systems, whether they're integrated or not, right? Because again, it's not us to decide, you know, what they want to be when they grow up. It's what kind of ex customer experience they want to deliver. Then it's up to us to design the system that create that. So for example, if we're designing or helping a company design their proof of delivery, what does that look like? Does that look like a signature capture? Does that look like an image capture in the field? And then bringing that back in real time to the WMS or ERP, 
should we automatically create an invoice off of that, which we are doing for a cable company with, uh, in this case, they got seven delivery trucks and they're strictly a distributor. So, but they want us to not only warehouse, but also support PODs. So we're capturing all that information in the field, pushing it back in real time to their ERP, then actually triggering an invoice that has the associated pack slip invoice, as well as a signature capture and picture of the items being delivered at that location. So how do you architect that, right? How do you interact with the ERP? And that's part of the fun of creating that recipe and making sure all the players in the system are supporting that customer experience. So, and that's where we typically start with. What customer experience do you want to deliver? And then we work backwards from there to design system or bring in or work with the third party. So that way we all start with a common vision of where we want to end up, right? And of course, the devil's in the details, and that's where that's where the that's where most um, implementations have a bit of a stumbling block because they forget some of those little details. Yeah, so very interesting insights there, and I am glad that you are actually bringing the proof of delivery because there are a lot of industries that are going to care for that. So I don't know, I mean, see, you actually posed the question, how do you design? So now I am actually going to pose this question back to you. Okay, so how did you design, let's say, the, the project that you were working with? Where is the process end off when you are looking at, let's say, your, your uh, proof of delivery? What is going to be the boundary, let's say, if you talk about the, the POD versus your WMS versus your CMS, if that is going to be in the picture as well? What data elements does the POD system going to need to be able to operate? And then what are you going to return back to other systems? Yeah. Yeah, as you recall, you did a great podcast number. I think it was number 178, <laughs> uh, Single Source of Truth, right? Yep. And we talked about all these different data points and sources of data and how to bring it together. And that's the trick is that because you, you, you've got an ERP with certain data points, typically customer orders, materials, parts. Then you got your WMS with the inventory coins. And now you've got a TMS with the freight, all that freight information, right? So the question is, You've got to have an overall vision and be able to pull that information into a single point, a single source of truth, with, and then be able to deliver, again, that customer experience. So that's the trick. Like a POD system, which is working typically disconnected from the ERP, you've got to push the, all that information out to that device. And it's coming from three or four different sources. So you better be pretty good in terms of your integration and in terms of that design to facilitate moving out that data from maybe three or four different points to that single device where the driver, all he cares about is scan a package, grab a signature, make sure it's uh, delivered to the right quantity and get out of there and get and get to the next delivery. So it's all about delivering that experience. So again, it's all about that single source but presenting it as a single source, even though behind the scenes, it's coming from three or four different places. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Jeff, for that. So, Ryan, I'm actually going to move to you. So, based on whatever you have heard so far, the different players in the world, different sizes of the companies, and obviously from your experience, you have done the real TMS implementation, right? So, you know, the TMS implementation is going to be very different from your ERP implementation. So, what have you seen overall in your case when it comes to designing the processes around logistics department of uh, different companies and different sizes of companies? What I've seen in the past is, it, you know, I think the biggest, there's a commonality, but also a difference in when it comes to an ERP implementation. Typically, 
there's an internal agreement. You know, you know, you look at internal motivations of different departments. You look at um, what who at um, internal departments, you know, deem success, et cetera. And when you put all this together, that's your roadmap to success for the ERP implementation. For the TMS implementation, like what Jeff mentioned and what Tom referred to previously, you need to find that common ground because you are not only dealing with internal internal people, you're dealing with externals as well, right? Because you're dealing with, with freight forwarders, you're dealing with delivery people, you're dealing with all kinds of companies that are kind of interacting within that, uh, that TMS uh, system. So it's, I think it's very important that you need to, need to look at, yes, to, to find success internally and determine motivations internally, but then also look externally to your external partners and, and look at what the motivations and success factor they say as well. And, I'll, and also, you know, I will kind of chump it or parrot what, uh, what Tom and Jeff have both said about if, if you're not the expert in something, outsource it right away. Don't, don't sit there and struggle. Experts got an expert. That's kind of the, 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 the rule of thumb that I've always gone with. And if you try to kind of take someone who's not an expert in something, like not only does the customer experience definitely go down, both internally and externally, but the cost goes up as well because anything that is not efficient and not effective is very abrasive financially. So I think it's very important to determine the risk factor involved, but also look at um, what the overall picture is and, and, and assign responsibilities to those who are experts in a certain situation. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Ryan, for those insights. So I am actually going to move to Chris. Chris, so based on you know whatever you have heard so far, I'm pretty sure you have been involved with some some crazy implementations too. So from your perspective, when you look at the architecture of the, these different companies and the needs of the the logistics for different companies, what have you seen in your experience? Yeah, there's some great examples that I've actually seen. I thought I was light on this, but you know, as you go back to architecture, and I think you know, Tom made a great comment: is you know, where is your strength? And you know, it, it's also part of scale: is what's the size of the organization? Whether you manage these systems internally or whether you leverage them externally. But I think that as you, how do you architect it? You know, it's the big block model. What features do I need? Jeff threw out some great things: POD, tariffs, documentation. Okay, those are big requirements. Um, you might have route planning. You might have load management. You might have yard. Well, you're so big that you need GPSs to see to make sure. Like think about aircraft on a on a runway and stuff. So it, to that point, there's a number of other ones that I've seen. But uh, you know, a couple of examples that I'll I'll share with you is I have a group that, but a billion dollar operation. They move hogs. They move about nine million pigs a year. Well, we keep talking about outbound logistics, but you know, inbound logistics is just as imperative because. Yep. They're bringing in feed and they're bringing in tons of inbound and and then the outbound, of course, they're moving pigs and they're tracking what pig is on what truck and a lot of details. And if you think about core ERP, you're right. It's not going to carry all that workload. But uh, to that point is, can I extend my system? Am I big enough where I can manage those aspects of it? And again, am I doing my own load planning? Moving pigs around, that's load planning. There's a lot there. And inbound, um, we didn't mention container management. Yeah. So now I'm the guy that's procuring and all my stuff's coming in overseas. Well, wow, my logistics is way out there where number one is I'm crafting a purchase order. Yeah. I'm doing container management. It's because I'm telling those guys how to load my containers. Well, great. Now I own them as soon as they hit the water. So that's a whole different type of tracking and traceability. We didn't talk about the GPS systems that are on vehicles. That's another yeah. extension where now I really track my vehicles and we've got clients where we're doing field service. Well, now we're tracking the people logistically, GPS to know travel time from point A to point B and no human intervention. So lots of little examples. And again, logistics is it's overarching, covers everything, covers your warehouse, right? It covers your vehicles if you've got vehicles, but not everybody's the same, right? And, and as you start identifying big block, 
some of these functionalities, right? And I think the other part about internal external is, can you really move it out? You know, I keep, you throw out the medical device, guys, there's some issues there. But as you look at a native process and, and, and is it so imperative to have it close to home and in the org where my people run that process versus externally? And I, I've heard integration. Integration is an imperative here because we can't can't key around. And again, even even when I have a core ERP that has a little bit of TMS, we're still integrating out to external freight carriers, right? So there's always going to be integrations, whether it's rate shopping. So again, a lot of a lot of aspects to it. It can be complex, and I still think that based on the size of your org, got to define what are you going to be great at and what are you not going to be great at. The stuff you're not going to be great at, be honest up front. Oh, we can build all that, but again, that's not why you're in business is to build this huge logistic system or a lot of custom software. So. Uh, again, initial comments, I could continue to go. I've got some other examples for you. Yeah, so we are actually going to do a little bit of brainstorming here overall in terms of the architecture and the different business models. So from my experience, when I look at different businesses, especially when you talk about the, and you mentioned some of the examples, such as, you know, when you are doing the the your uh, fleet tracking or the fleet management or the route planning, obviously, you know, all of those needs are going to be there when you have a transportation company. But now, let's say if you are a manufacturer and you are actually trying to go direct to consumer, most likely what is going to happen is you will not be able to work with your three PLO because they are going to ask you, you know what, I cannot meet your customer experience requirements. So now you are going to be managing your your own fleet. The challenge with the transportation business, and I have seen a lot of different transportation business, they really struggle. They have far more investment in IT compared to a traditional manufacturer or distributor, but they still fail. And the reason why they fail, number one reason is going to be they have a manual input in their financial process. And that is going to be when your driver is going to uh, you know, drive from point A to point B, you are supposed to be paying them and you are actually supposed to be getting the invoices based on that. And that actually throws off everything, to be honest. Okay, So you have some of the technologies such as your GPS that people are trying to implement. But I mean, it's very hard to sort of combine all of that and run the logistics business. So now if we look at the manufacturing and if you are talking about these direct to consumer business models where they are maintaining either their own fleet or we are talking about the last mile delivery where they are going to have significant fleet, they are going to increase the complexity of their business model by tenfold and they don't even understand how big of a problem that is overall from the system perspective and the process perspective. Do you have any thoughts, Chris, in terms of, you know, do you agree with me? Well, I, I yeah, and it's, you go back to who manages the problem. You know, I, I mentioned last week the, the client of mine that does 14,000 packages a day. You think they manage the, they stuff, you know, 10 or 12 UPS tractor trailers and it's UPS's problem from there. But there's a there's a perfect example where you've moved that logistics problem out the door. Their, their concern is have 10 tractor trailers in my parking lot every day that I can fill up. So again, where do you push that responsibility to manage it internally? I think that organization has recognized that, hey, we just need to get them on the trucks. We can get them on the trucks and we can prioritize the way we get them on the trucks to make sure they're managing that part of the process. But they've shifted that burden externally. And again, to you know, a dozen tractor trailers a day, I'm sure UPS loves it, but they create their own logistical problem for those folks as well with that type of volume. So different examples. Again, depends on how big the org is. I've got another group that's picking, you know, a million picks a day and he's a DSD. It's the same philosophy. He's using big trucks to take that problem away from him. So he does not manage, but he's dealing with all the big box carriers that you're mentioning. But in his context, his he's not, because it's it's boxes of shoes. You know, there's no, there's no LTL there. There's no real load planning there. It's stuff tractor trailers and let those guys deal with it. But it's just a matter of prioritizing the way they're picking and loading so that they're servicing the, uh, 
the queue correctly. Let's put it that way. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So, uh, you know, Tom, I'm actually going to come to you, and I am going to be mentioning a real life case study that I have personally seen. So, and and what I am really interested in in going through the the architecture issues and the design decisions that a lot of companies make, and they don't even understand how bad it could fire back. So I am talking about a company that was primarily in the last mile space. And the reason why the last mile space is so uh, special is because they are going to feel that, you know what, I am just a distributor. What is the difference between a distributor or retailer and, and, and the last mile delivery? Their orders are going to be very different the way they process their orders. The way they schedule their capacity is going to be very different. They are going to be just a courier company, okay? So in their case, the way their orders are going to be, they are probably going to get an EDI feed from the warehouse, and you are probably going to have 10,000 lines in that, okay? Distributors might receive that as well, but typically it does not go through the same EDI feed. So your ERP is probably not going to work for them, but they still need some sort of ERP because they have to do the financials, okay? But for the operations, it's going to be really, really, really difficult for them. So in your, let's say, if you were designing a system for the last mile delivery provider, how would you approach this? Do you agree that if I am designing the system for the last mile provider and let's say if I'm feeding this in SAP, would this work? Would this not work? What kind of challenges are they going to face? Well, I would not probably be recommending SAP for a last mile uh, provider. Uh, you know, SAP does have some decent TMS capabilities, uh, but it is not, uh, to my knowledge, and I, I haven't dived into it hands-on configuration uh, in, in, in years, but uh, I, I certainly did uh, deal with TMS as a consultant, and I dealt with it later at Varian, overseeing our, our IT organization. And while it was useful uh, and effective for uh, what we did at Varian, very large-scale machines that we built that were delivered as a single unit or, or a set of maybe disassembled components, but as a single delivery, that would be, you know, basically a full truckload in and of itself. <clears throat> um, that was handled very well. Um, but for a high volume um, transportation management set of requirements, um, I suspect that there are better solutions out there that you would probably interface with. Um, and uh, again, I, I don't know if, if, if you're looking for uh, actual recommendations or something, Sam, I'm not a transportation management expert, but um, I haven't seen um, the SAP solution as an example used by any high volume uh, manufacturer and distributor that I've ever encountered. Um, as the core transportation management solution. Yeah, warehouse management, inventory management, perhaps yes, but uh, transportation was quite different. And usually, as you said, very sophisticated, um, uh, you know, just as, as, uh, as, as Chris was saying, I think, you know, the, the, the tracking of the vehicles, the, the, the tracking of uh, even drivers' behaviors, um, how long were they at each unloading point during the delivery run? How efficient were they? Did they follow the route exactly as planned? Were they late in you know, making that final drop, even maybe missing it? We, we had 
you know, in the, in the lighting business that I was involved in at GE, that was frequently the problem, whether it was traffic or whether it was somebody stopping off uh, for a rest break uh, that was a little lengthy or whether it was uh, just getting lost somewhere and missing that last drop and then that having to come back to uh, the, the warehouse and get included in the next day's deliveries. And uh, of course, the customer sat issues that that led to as well. I mean, the, the complexity of managing that all of that transportation piece, I, I agree, was far greater from a uh, from a technology point of view than uh, a lot of the basics around warehousing, inventory, receiving, put away, picking. So I, I have seldom seen a sophisticated operation with regard to transportation uh, done in the ERP. Okay, amazing. So I am actually going to ask a follow-up question. And obviously, you know, now we agree that, you know, there's going to be a lot of complexity overall in the transportation business. And especially if you as a manufacturer uh, are trying to bring that transportation component in your business model, <laughs> your complexity is going to grow somewhere else and you know you need far more sophisticated IT infrastructure before you make that business decision that you know I am actually bringing my in-house fleet that's a big deal guys uh, so pay attention to that don't just you know make random decision that okay today I was manufacturing business and now I'm going B2T I'm going to be managing my fleets it, it, it's very 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 hard so Tom uh, you know before I move to Jeff I am going to be asking one question related to the the medical device and the pharma industry just because you have so much experience and and this is related to the utilization of PPL that we actually saw in the last panel. So I don't know what you have seen, if you have seen the utilization of PPL in the pharma or med device process, because the challenge that you are going to run into in your pharma and med device process, you have to have the lot number, the serial number tracking. And when you are going to be introducing a PPL, especially let's say if you are doing that for the raw material, then they are actually going to be receiving and then you sort of lose control of the process because you need to make sure that you are able to receive in your system and you have the end-to-end traceability of your lots and serial numbers. So have you seen utilization of 3PLs uh, in the medical device industry or do they try to stay away from that? Because it introduces different level of complexity in the process. Um, so I have seen the use of 3PLs. Uh, certainly, you know, Varian has some of its own transportation equipment, but it uses 3PLs. In some of the consulting projects that I did uh, prior to Varian, one was a pharma company and, and they used 3PLs. And we were using uh, serialization and, and lot management and, uh, and the traceability was of course critical. But what I've seen, and I'd be interested to hear what the other panelists had to say on this subject too. What I've seen has not involved the transportation modules directly in lot tracking and serial number tracking. The the product itself was the basis for the identification at each point of shipment or receiving, um, and it wasn't it wasn't the the transportation system that would contain that information specifically, and which obviously would facilitate the use of a, a third party if they don't have to track at that level of detail. So, uh, for example, um, in the case of the pharma companies. When we would work with a third party for shipments, the information would get loaded into uh, the ERP system. And as we palletized product that was being shipped to various um, uh, uh, stores and customers, and again, this was not necessarily for the 
end consumer at this point. I, this was pharma manufacturer who wasn't, you know, who was distributing to uh, pharmacies and hospitals and so on, right? And uh, in that leg of the transportation uh, routing, um, the information that was contained in the pallet and in the, on the product um, was the key for the tracking and traceability. It wasn't something that was fed into, even though they were 3PLs, uh, you know, we weren't feeding that specific information into the 3PL system. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Tom. So, Jeff, actually, I'm I'm, I'm going to come to you. And now, uh, let's go back to our uh, you know discussion about the the architecture and design. That's what we are looking for here in terms of overall the differences in the business model of different the logistics operations, the logistics company, and one of the the process break point that I see in my mind. And I think Chris mentioned that that you know when you are Working with the logistics companies, they are going to be responsible for your route planning, and they seem to refer the term called, I think, the multimodal management. So basically, you have to manage all your legs, and you have to control the legs because that's a any business. You have to track everything that are flowing from your truck to your your ship to your if you have a, a some sort of you know freight forwarder involved, and then the guy who's actually going to the the dock. And they are actually picking the good from there and then take it to the to the end customer, right? So it's a it's a very long hop. And they typically utilize two different metrics as, as tracking their KPIs. So they don't really worry about, you know, what is my total delivery time? For them, there are going to be two or three different things. Number one concept is going to be the shipment. Number two concept is going to be movement. For them, they want to compress their capacity and they want to utilize the shipment as much as possible. And I think that is similar to the concept that Chris mentioned related to the container. And then movement is going to be your route planning, right? That's how they 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 plan things. So in your experience, when you are looking at the business model differences across the, the industries, and when you are going to be designing the architecture, what would you recommend to companies with, with their architecture? Yeah, so I'm going to go back to your earlier question, uh, Sam, around yep. you know, manufacturer looking to do last mile and um, what we're seeing now out there. A lot of manufacturers are having to deal with e-commerce, right? So now they're um, picking and shipping direct uh, orders from their warehouses to the end user customer, whereas before in the past, they would ship to a retail retailer or distributor and they go from there. Now, that has fundamentally changed how they do lo- their logistics. So, yeah. So we're getting a lot of interest in rate shopping systems. And to that end, we actually integrate it with the third-party rate shopping system straight into our system, which then goes into the ERP. So from a design perspective, it's about how do we add that rate shopping capability so they can do things like, you know, rate shop between UPS and and FedEx and DHL, as well as be able to select different carriers, um, LTL carriers typically, and get pro forma numbers and get manifests and bills of lading and all that stuff. And that's usually their first start at addressing the last mile. They're still not actually doing the delivery, but they're using third parties and they're trying to control those costs through that kind of software package. And it also has e-commerce piece to it, so they're able to interact with Shopify and Amazon. The next part of it where they want to address the last mile is now they get their own trucks. And we're dealing with a customer who has their own trucks. <laughs> and so now we're now pushing the data set that they would normally stop at the dock door and we're yep. putting it on a device to support, in this case, a proof of delivery, right? And 
my recommendation to companies that are just starting out is to keep it really simple. And I don't want to sound trite, but has to be web-based, ideally. You know, it has to uh, run on a smartphone or a smartphone-type device so that training is minimized. And I wish Chuck were here today because he'd be all over this and, and agree with me on the uh, on the need to keep a simple interface, right? And then have them do a minimal work out in the field. So in this case, scanning a 2D barcode indicating the shipment's received. Not scanning every parcel. There's just one barcode that says it's done, it's gone and then doing a quick, easy signature capture. So the whole point of designing it um, goes down to how we visualize it being used out in the field and then creating the data sets and deciding how do we move those data sets into a mobile device, but also allow it to keep working, right, in the event there's a disconnect. So a guy goes into a basement, does the delivery, goes into an elevator. So we've got to have be able to work in a disconnected environment as well, which is a total big challenge because in the in the warehouse world in the airport, we're used to having a constant connection. Provided you pay your bills, you're going to have an internet connection. So at the end of the day, that is the the as they say, you know, form follows function. So think about what we how we want to use that product in the field, and then. Naturally, the data points need to support it. And back to my earlier point, you got to be willing and flexible to pick up those data points from a variety of places, be it the ERP, be it the TMS, um, be it the WMS, and push that out. So the architecture can sometimes look a little daunting, right? Because you've got all these different servers, you're going to the internet, uh, but it's gotta it's gotta work. And, and if you don't make it work, you're going to end up with a lot of disconnects in the field and a lot of manual entry and even paperwork to support processes that should be completely digital, right? So when we tell our customers who are looking to get into this last mile, we go, so what do you mean by last mile? <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's a big question because last mile means so many different things to so many people, right? And if they mean, yeah, I want to be the guy handing the package in the hand of the customer, I go, okay, here's what you be, have to be prepared to deliver and what I need from a data point perspective to do that, right? And, and usually I hope it's I hope it's the last mile meeting. They just want to be able to support their e-commerce shipments and pass it off to a carrier and make life easy for themselves because quite frankly, they're not, they have trouble managing inventory. Imagine now, now they have to manage transportation. I go, oh my gosh, you know? Now they're really asking for it. The best thing I like about the last mile business is, let's say if I have a truck and I know how to talk to Amazon, Amazon is going to give me, you know, whatever amount of business that I want and I can move and ship and I can start my last mile business. But the people who are actually starting the last mile business, they don't understand how complex it gets. You know, once you have to scale that, it's a very complex business, even though you can start very easily in in the beginning. So one of the questions that I am going to ask you is, okay, so let's say I am the manufacturer. I am trying to simplify my process. So you mentioned, you know what, get a rate shopping, uh, you know, add-on in your WMS ERP. And, you know, your life is going to be easier because I have my LTL providers. I have my FTL providers. I have my UPS. I have my FedExes. I'm going to do my rate comparison. I'm going to find who is going to be the carrier for my, uh, you know, shipping. And I'm actually going to ship that. That's the financial part. Okay, that's the admin part. Now let's talk about the coordination and the operations. 
Okay, so who is supposed to be printing the documents? Okay, which system is supposed to be printing the document? So do you want to walk us through the process of who is responsible for printing the documents when you are doing the cross-border transactions? Who is responsible for these documents when you are shipping, let's say, I don't know, US to Canada, you have NAFTA, um, you know, somebody has to print those documents. Somebody has to coordinate with the drivers. Somebody has to, uh, you know, make sure that you are actually emptying the truck timely. Otherwise, you are going to be penalized by your carriers. So how do you ensure all of that when you are a manufacturer, Jeff? Well, it's it's a question of really the shipping department does it, but also I've seen the CSRs do that as well. And that's typically the hardest part to convince them that the system will produce it. I've seen companies where they have uh, spreadsheets, Word documents, third-party labeling forms, and they print it all in advance, put it into a package, and then give it to shipping department and the pickers, and they work from those documents. So convince CSR that we're going to now produce that all in real time, and the rate shopping system is going to produce it, the WMS is going to produce some of it, right, by way of labeling and packs, and it's all going to work. That's a big convincing. So so naturally, we go through a lot of training, a lot of testing, to, and we have them throw everything at us, including the kitchen sink, to try to make it work. And you're right. I mean, with the recent, all the changes in border controls and, and customs documents, it's very complex out there. And I don't blame them to be very careful. But that's where we chose a great partner on the uh, shipping side. And they've, they've got, uh, in their case, they've got tens of they got 10,000 implementations and they're able to address a lot of those questions for us right but you're you're right it's uh, the most difficult part is getting people to accept the change that they're no longer going to be necessarily quarterbacking the shipment if the system is going to do that for them and also update the ERP with tracking number costs uh, waybill numbers etc and and that's that's the hardest part in our experience okay amazing thank you so much Jeff for that so Ryan I'm actually going to come to you so what are your thoughts so far you know based on whatever you have heard do you agree with anything do you disagree with anything what do you think sorry I agree with everything to be honest with you. like I think that each of the, the, my co-panelists have brought up great, great, uh, great points. Tom, absolutely, a company needs to understand handoff points, etc. It's 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 key to assign responsibilities. Jeff, great rundown on on the kind of the procedural handoff and, and the the workflow. And Chris, I, I want to kind of touch on a point you made about kind of you know the way that 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 information flows out the door and the way product leaves the building. I think. In my experience, yeah, I look back to when I first started at Magna back in, you know, 1996, and everything was paper and it was simple. You fill the bill, lading out. You give, give it to the driver. Driver takes it to the end user. Done. And I think that there's been a drastic underestimation, or it was at least, on the complexity of transitioning that that process digitally. And then, so I think that there's, you know, there's a reason that the last mile costs are 56% of overall shipping costs. It's yeah. really complex and really hard, and I think people definitely underestimate that. And it's also a reason why why there's there's so much VC money's been pumped into freight tech is because there's a lot of opportunity there, because you've gone from in a very short amount of time you've gone from paper to a highly digital world with with EDI considerations and and border considerations and and regulatory stuff that, that has gone up exponentially. So I think that you know I think I think I saw a stat just recently that. $28 billion has been invested by VCs in freight tech. And most of that's been since 2015. 
So there's a lot of money pumped into the technologies that are, are digitalizing what used to be paper transfers. And I think that that's obviously what, what is, that's part of the complexity that, that is, it's, it's kind of solved the complexity, but it's also now increased complexity because you have so many disparate systems that exist or, or apps like, like I think Jeff mentioned about the smartphone capabilities. Like these apps or these, these technologies, a lot of them are very disparate. And it's great to, to think that they're all going to attach, but it takes a lot of integration between each step in the process. And I think that a lot of times that's underestimated by, by companies that want to get into this space, the last mile space. It's a lot of money. It's very complex. And there's, there's a, an increased amount of players that are involved in the space now. So I think that it's, it's, it's more like a look before you leap type situation. You definitely don't want to just go, go in blindly. Okay, amazing. So uh, that's a very interesting data point, to be honest. I mean, I didn't even know uh, the 56% data point that you mentioned, uh, you know, that is there for the last mile delivery. And I could believe that because obviously you have a lot of handshake there overall from the process perspective. Mm-hmm. When you are simply shipping from your UPS, FedEx, they already have their systems and processes streamlined. So they are not going to be as expensive but in case of last mile delivery, that's going to be far more expensive. But you also mentioned the $20 billion in the in the freight tech VC money. So have you seen any specific technologies that you would like to mention where you are seeing the innovation and that, let's say, either the manufacturers, shippers, uh, or the freight forwarders should know about? Well, I think there's everything from, you know, advanced analytics to, you know, the AR, AR, AR VR training capabilities that have come about. Uh, like uh, obviously blockchain, I, I, I'll be frank, I have no idea how that might work, but there's a lot of blockchain technologies that have been increased, like uh, digital twins is big one. So there's so many, there's such advancement in the technological technological piece of logistics that I think sometimes it almost goes too fast. And I think that there's no no handholding. I think that they're almost like they're creating these, these digital or, or t- technological silos that exist. And there's not really much in the way of, of uh, agreement between them. So the, the, I think the race would be who, who has the capability to create these handshakes between these digital silos or these digital technologies and how do they make them work you know, most efficiently? I think that's, that's a race that I, I'd like to see have happen because obviously the Amazons and, and, and um, the Walmarts of the world are pumping a bunch of money into, into these technologies, but so are VCs. Right. So they're funding like the, the ground startups. Yeah. And that's kind of it's almost like a race to see who can do it first. And then at, at the point of intersection, does do the Amazons and the Walmarts and the and other um, other big, big players like Shopify. Like there's a reason Shopify bought a whole bunch of little warehouse startups is because they wanted to to have some kind of some kind of presence against Amazon. And they need they understood they needed to get into that space. And the best way to do that was just to buy up a bunch of startups and hope that almost using the VC model, if you buy 20 and and four work out, you're gonna make a bunch of money. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Ryan, for that. So Chris, I'm actually gonna to come to you. So, you know, what are your thoughts so far? Do you agree with everything that has been said? Any disagreements, uh, any other examples? I think you had a lot of examples that you wanted to share. Yeah, this, I mean, there's a lot of good stories. And I think as we go back to, you know, my philosophy on some of this is, you know, we, what's, what's there already? I mean, you think about people hearing this and going, oh, do I got to architect this? And I think it still depends on where you're at in your maturity cycle, because a lot of the businesses, if you're big, you're already having to deal with some of this. And then you come back to say, are there better systems? But, you know, before you take it on yourself to build it, 
again, that's to step back and look at examples of, of, of married up partners already. And for example, I'm still spoiled with my Microsoft Dynamics FNO. There's a transportation module in there with APIs. So you hit the APIs out to FedEx and guess what? We print the, we print the FedEx tracking bills right out of the ERP system. That's slick. Interacts. So the APIs there. So again, what we're looking for is this technology that simplifies how do we connect these vertical applications? Because that's really what they are. And again, whether they're partners, an EDI has mechanisms to, to route around 3PL. So we're still back to how do we do architecture planning? And I think a lot of it for me, it always starts with, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. There's other people that already done this. Now, the last mile stuff, this is new. I didn't even hear about it before your show today. So I am like, okay, then the 56% is, but bleeding edge, right? Leading edge, cutting edge. But there's a lot of people that have been through these systems integration projects before. So I think that's one bit of advice is, you, is you, how do you architect? What works? What's proven? What really addresses the requirements of the business? And I think we go back to Tom threw it out there, business process. Processes, right? What do we really want to do? What are we good at? What part do we own? What part do we go out? And again, then you then you really do your due diligence on what's in market, what's in play that's already been proven to work. It's going to be the lower efficiency now. As, as Ryan was saying, as time passes and some of this cooler tech shows up, the price points come down as we move through time. On the front end, they're going to be expensive, but if they're continuing to invest, that technology is going to work its way down to the uh, to the smaller organizations who can afford it. Because I would say that it's going to be large companies that have these big systems today because the little guys, they, they outsource. They use the 3PL. So just some comments. Like I said, it's a great discussion. Yep. Amazing. So I love the argument about these APIs and, you know, really interacting with, uh, you know, all of these carriers. If you have the API capabilities, then obviously you can print the document right inside your ERP system. Uh, but let's say if you're dealing with 500 different carriers and you have to interact with all of them and you have to uh, integrate with all of those APIs, how many development dollars are we talking about? Yeah, <laughs> parcel versus LTL and TL, though, Sam. So if we in the parcel world, there's a handful of players. There's not 50. Okay, so UPS, FedEx, USPS, who else? Uh, anyway, um, but as you get into the LTL carriers, that's typically you're going through someone that's integrating to all 50 of them. That's why you're not building one-off integrations. That's part of the strategy too. I inherited a client I'm working with. He goes, oh, we built 50 one-off integrations. I go, why don't you just do EDI and have one lane in and you know a single pipe through? But yeah, we don't, we don't condone building one-off integrations to everybody, but that would be the case where you'd go through a broker that's basically the rate shopper because the rate shopper has integrated all those carriers and that's, again, that's a decision point. I wouldn't build 50 integrations because the maintenance and the cost, is that's not the right approach. So I think architecturally, you're pointing out a flaw in thinking. But again, as you look, look for somebody that's already got all those fingers touching all those people that can provide that service to you. So that's a great example. That should be a peripheral. One touch point between you and whoever your LTR rate shopper is because he's going to provide you access to everybody. And it's just like the EDI provider. In the cloud, they're building all those transaction sets. There's a lot of efficiencies by going in there and using the same transaction sets to Walmart. And even ASNs, we didn't mention it. That's part of logistics yep. planning helping them plan inbound, your ASNs, your inbound. So Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So the only thing we can take right now is going to be super short closing advice. So Tom, what is going to be your super short closing advice? My super short closing advice, Sam, would be uh, just to remember the focus on process. That's where the, the, the architecture in large part will start to become apparent how you define it at those handoff points. Um, the 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 point I made early, I guess, on core, what's core, and you want to handle in-house versus outsource. Um, and again, I think that starts to define the, the, the architecture again and what needs to be integrated versus how broad your own architecture or landscape to provide the solution can be. 
And lastly, something we didn't talk a lot about, but it occurred to me here towards the end, there needs to be maybe more attention than we gave today to data. There's a lot of discussion around the APIs or the applications and the integration, but uh, a lot of this stuff breaks down. And I've seen it, for example, when we had multiple factories producing the same products when I was back in my GE days. And um, you saw that the, the boxes had the same number of products inside, but they were actually dimensionally slightly different. And feeding that into the transport management system when they were trying to optimize the load and fit it into the vehicle and you ran into issues that you couldn't understand and you realized that you, know, you have a single SKU, yet it has multiple dimensions. From a manufacturing point of view, the factories didn't care. Our warehouse didn't care that much. But when it got to tight space and optimization for the transportation provider, it became a real issue. Um, and, and so the data, you know, just one little example, but the data can be critical. Uh, it's not just about how do you feed it, but are you, is it even exactly right uh, for, you know, fit to use? Warehouse use is different than transportation use is different than, you know, other parties in that supply chain. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Tom. So just one word or a sentence in closing advice. Jeff. What's your customer experience? Okay, love it. Thank you so much. Ryan, one word or super short sentence. Closing advice. Logistics is scary if you if you either all in or do what I did and get in the sales. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. Chris. Build, buy, or outsource. Do your ROI accurately and factor the customer experience. Thank you. Love it, guys. Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody, for your time and insights. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, everyone. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Tom Rodden, head over to varian.com. It's V-A-R-I-A-N.com. If you want to learn more about Jeff Lamb, head over to portable-intelligence.com. It's P-O-R-T-A-B-L-E-I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-E-N-C-E.com. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's T-U-R. N-K-E-Y-T-E-C dot com. If you want to learn more about Ryan Wicklum, head over to changeconnect.ca. It's C-H-A-N-G-E-C-O-N-N-E-C-T dot C-A. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Fred Cartwright from Heversack, who shares his insights into the nuances of transportation management systems from different perspectives of manufacturers, distributors, 3PL facilities, and transportation companies. Also, the interview with Colin Mansfield from Yard Management Solutions, who shares his insights into the process, nuances of yard management of manufacturing and warehouse facilities. Also, don't forget to subscribe and to spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. 
For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.